It's the way. The world is getting crazier. People are acting more and more insane. The end of the world is tomorrow. 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 There's only one thing to do when the world is falling apart. Listen to Basil and Gonz as they discuss this week's news and events through the lens of Bible prophecy. You are listening to Canary Cry News Talk. You're listening to Canary Cry News Talk. It is Monday, November 30th, 2020, episode number 270, and today, Cyborg Monday, and uh, poor old Basil is stuck. He's been carbon frozen, and um, he may join us at a certain point, but uh, yeah, he got caught from the... uh, you know, the, the Star Wars carbonite freezing process. And uh, he cannot join us at the moment. Uh, this was unsuspected, but uh, the show must go on. So I will do this solo until he calls in or he's able to call in. And um, hello. And my, uh, this is my little daughter here. So uh, She's not making things easy. Everything is uh, just out of control today. So, hope everybody had a good Thanksgiving week, and uh, you know we're just uh, gonna get on with it because there's a lot to cover here, and um, I want to start with hello, my goodness, no, please don't do that. Okay, all right, not 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 helpful, honey. All right, sorry about that. <laughs> of course, right, and as I hit the live button, my uh, daughter comes into the bedroom and. And uh, wants to be here for the the whole thing. Um, Okay, what are we doing? Uh, I I wanted to just real briefly go over some of the election stuff because, again, that's what it seems like everybody's a little fatigued about it. But I do want to mention a couple things. Uh, And so my question is very direct. Is voting by mail secure? (laughs) So we will cover uh, briefly just a couple things that have been going on with uh, the elections and you know uh, man it's just one of those issues where i don't know what's going to happen i really don't but uh there was an article that was published votepatternanalysis.substack.com uh this was published by vote integrity i don't know the veracity or the uh the, the validity of uh, whoever posted this but the article is pretty significant and it does go over some um uh, some pretty good points that is uh, analyzed statistically. And so this article is titled Anomalies in Vote Counts and Their Effects on Election 2020, a Quantitative Analysis of Decisive Vote Updates in Michigan, Wisconsin, and Georgia on and after election night. And uh, I'll just read. I have a couple things highlighted here to mention. And uh, it says here, with this report, we rely only... uh, Excuse me. Okay, sorry about that. Uh, This is a quote here. With this report, we rely only on publicly available data from the New York Times to identify and analyze statistical anomalies in key states. Uh, And then down here, it says the significance of this property will be further explained in later sections, blah, blah, blah. Nearly every vote update across states of all sizes and political leanings follow this statistical pattern which they outline here uh, looking at 8,954 individual vote updates. A very small number, however, are especially aberrant. Uh, 
Of the seven vote updates which follow the pattern, the least four individual vote updates, two in Michigan, one in Wisconsin, and one in Georgia, were particularly anomalous and influential with respect to this property, and all occurred within the same five-hour window. In particular, we were unable to uh, quantify the extent of compliance with this property and discover that uh, of the 8,954 vote updates used in the analysis, these four decisive updates were the first, second, fourth, and seventh most anomalous updates in the entire data set. Not only does each of these vote updates not follow the generally observed pattern, but the anomalous behavior of these updates in partic uh, is particularly extreme. That is, these vote updates are outliers of the outliers. And, um, of course, it's the Michigan, Wisconsin, Georgia, uh, and the Michigan again, November 4th in the middle of the night. And um, it goes through the whole analysis here. I'm not going to really dig into it because uh, you can do your own research and reading here. Uh, but I will get to the conclusion, which I have another little section highlighted. In conclusion, this report uh, studies 8,954 individual updates to the vote totals in all 50 states and finds that four individual updates, two of which were widely noticed on the Internet, including by the president, are profoundly anomalous. They deviate from a pattern which is otherwise found in the vast majority of the remaining 8,950 vote updates. Uh, this finding presented by this report suggests that four vote count updates, which collectively were decisive in Michigan, Wisconsin, and Georgia, and thus de decisive of a critical 42 electoral votes, are especially anomalous and merit further investigation. In particular, the findings that the broader data shows general patterns and our ability to measure just how much any individual vote update does or doesn't follow this pattern allows us to make concrete claims about uh, about both how extreme any given vote update is and about what any particular vote update might have looked like had it been less extreme one uh, one access or another. We further find that if these updates were only more extreme than 99% of all updates nationally in terms of their deviation from this generally observed pattern, that holding all else equal, Joe Biden may very well have lost the state of Michigan, Wisconsin, and Georgia, and that he would have 42 fewer electoral votes, putting Biden below the number required to win the presidency. Either way, it is indisputable that his margin of victory in these three states relies on foremost anomalous vote updates identified by the metric developed in this report. So there you go. Uh, the analysis. Oh, hey, excuse me. Careful. Uh, falling apart over here. Uh, the analysis of the data that's publicly available does show anomalies. And um, I don't know. Uh, we're just going to have to keep an eye on it. We'll see if anything comes out of it. I will say that it was uh, fascinating to see CNN come out with a, uh, a, potential, um, a potential road to victory, uh, which is highly unusual for, for CNN to do. Um, Hold on one second here. I need to know, honey, but I'm trying to get this show going here. Yeah. So CNN coming out with how Trump could <laughs> lose and still win. I thought this was fascinating. It's almost like they're, uh, you know, they're trying to uh, cover their bases here, especially when uh, certain anomalies have been pointed out and how uh, it does appear to have uh, some hanky panky going on. We've, we've known that there's a lot of election fraud around the world. And so, you know, my whole thing is the CIA have been known to mess with elections, uh, foreign elections. 
So, of course, you know, what, what are the odds that they would be meddling with our elections? So there you go. That's uh, the quick update. Again, we'll keep an eye on it and um, we'll see what happens. Okay, we got frozen basil. We got kids running around. This is a we were gone for a week and then we just get uh, all kinds of craziness. Um, <laughs> Runk smash, get her some candy. Yeah, I'm trying to not do the sugar thing with the baby, but you know, it doesn't really work. Although uh, that might be a good plan for the, the grandma. Try to lure her to uh, not disrupt the show here. Let me check on Basil, see if he's available. Uh, I'm just going to let him know that we're live here. And uh, things are kind of moving forward. At the very least, we're here to sort of distract you from the election stuff and keep you updated and on all the other things going on in the world, because there is a lot going on that uh, you're not going to necessarily get from a lot of the news outlets today and this week and these next few weeks because everybody is covering the election. So, uh, for Basil here, I know this is usually Basil's thing, but you know because he's uh, frozen, I will uh, step in for him and start us off with a Flippy update. Flippy update. Do you want fries with that? This is from Reuters. Oh, and Flippy is the colloquial name that we use to talk about the robot takeover. Uh, somebody in the chat can, can, uh, mention his tagline. Uh, the robots are taking our jobs, uh, taking our children and flirting with our spouses, something to that nature. Basically the idea that robots are invading our lives in all sorts of ways. And, uh, you know, we're just keeping track of it. And, uh, we've, uh, the conversation has expanded into various aspects of the robot takeover, but, you know, we knew this was coming when the first lockdown or uh, the lockdown first happened with the coronavirus COVID-19. And I have no qualms with saying that on the live stream, especially on YouTube, because, you know, they're already demonetized us. We're we're working on moving off of YouTube and using YouTube as a kind of a peripheral platform. Um, uh, but in the meantime, uh, when the whole thing happened, one of the first things we said on Canary Cry News Talk was, oh, this this is going to be used for pushing the robot takeover even more, the digital takeover. So uh, this kind of story is no surprise. This headline here from Reuters.com, Egyptian inventor trials robot that can test for COVID-19. And I got to tell you, this is the, the creepiest looking robot I've ever seen in terms of uh, a test. This is the Sierra 3, a remote-controlled robot that runs tests on suspected coronavirus disease patients. And um, I'll flip through some of these pictures here. Uh, oh, gosh. Look how creepy. Why do they give it eyes like that? You know, why, why, why try to make it look human? I don't get that. If you're going to have a robot, go with the, you know, some of those robots that have that cute look. I understand that. But the whole make it look like a human face. I, I just don't get it. And uh, it's got that weird arm tentacle thing. And uh, if I was in bed in a hospital and I saw that thing roll up, I might uh, get up and kick it or something. I would, I would throw a blanket over his head or <laughs> knock it over, uh, unplug it. I don't know. It's just a creepy, creepy thing here. Um, but let me read the article here. 
It says Tanta Egypt with Egypt facing a second coronavirus wave. An inventor is trialing a remote control robot which can test for COVID-19, take the temperature of patients and warn them if they don't wear masks at the private hospital north of Cairo. Mahmoud El Komi, 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 who designed the robot called Sira 3 says it can help limit exposure to infection and prevent the transmission of the virus. His creation, which has a human-like face, uh, that's a being very uh, generous there, human-like face and head with robotic arms, can take blood tests, perform uh, echocardiograms or echocardiograms and x-rays and display the results to patients on a screen attached to its chest. Quote, I tried to make the robot seem more human. Really? I don't think he succeeded in that, but okay, let's move on. I tried to make the robot seem more human so that the patient doesn't fear it. So they don't feel like a box is walking in on them. Uh, I, I don't know. I don't think he succeeded. <laughs> don't fear the robot. I tried to make it so we don't, we're not scared of the robot, but oh my goodness, look at this thing. I, I would be freaked out if I saw that thing walking. Ciara 03 tests a patient for coronavirus by cupping their chin and then extending an arm. Okay, hold on. I Hold on one moment, folks. This is a... Uh, all right. I'm going to have to take a break here. If there's a way I can... Uh, all right, hold on one second. I'll be right back. All right. Sorry about that. This is uh, just turning into a pretty disastrous live stream here. Okay. Um, where was I? Something about... The robot here, Sierra 3 tests a patient for coronavirus by cupping their chin and then extending an arm with a swab into their mouth. Oh, boy. Abu Bakr El-Mihi, head of a private hospital where the robot is being tested, said they were using the robot to take the temperature of anyone suspected of having COVID-19. All right. So there you go. Uh, if you're in Egypt, if you're in a hospital... And you see, you see this guy roll up. Good luck to you. I gotta, I gotta say, this is, uh, I don't know. Why can't they have, I don't know. Anyway, we, we've talked about this before. I'm sure Basil would have his thoughts on, uh, you know, making it look less creepy, but, or, you know, at least put a mask on the robot to make it feel like, He's part of it too, or it, or whatever. Oh, look at that. You got the UN uh, logo right on his belly. Look at that. Giving themselves away. Is that like the next thing here? You got the, the UN robots that are going to basically, you know, take your temperature and pretend like they're here to save us. Yeah. Well, anyway, there you go. The, uh, the flippy update for this week, or for today anyway. And um, let me check real quick on Basil. Nope, nothing from him still. He's still frozen. Um, okay, so let's go through some updates. I got a couple stories here, and uh, we'll try to get through this quickly uh, because I have a, a screaming child that um, is not cooperating. Uh, okay, here we go. Brief updates. We interrupt this broadcast to give you a brief update. By the end of this timely interruption, you will be thoroughly updated. 33 is the number of completion of the great war. 
33 seems to be the Illuminati dog whistle. And uh, we see it pop up in headlines and all kinds of things everywhere. Uh, this first one here, I just thought it was a interesting coincidence because this uh, Supreme Court ruling about, uh, I think it was in New York, uh, of how basically the religious gatherings uh, are allowed. You know, the, the Supreme Court voted. They said, hey, churches and you know, people in faith uh, can meet and you know, they're going to uphold the Constitution. The document here happens to be 33 pages. I don't know if you, those of you watching, you can sort of see it up here, one out of 33. Of course, you know, if you have this Supreme Court document, it's going to be 33 pages. I just thought it was interesting and weird, uh, but less weird, but more familiar is from the CapitalGazette.com. Maryland officials report 1,590 new cases of coronavirus on Saturday and 33 new fatalities. It's just constant and uh, not surprising whatsoever, especially with the fatalities. We usually see 33 new uh, reports, you know, just people getting the virus or testing positive. But now we're talking about fatalities. Well, they've talked about fatalities before, too. But um, in this case, we uh, here's another headline for it. But, you know, not to be outdone, not to be outdone by the 33. If you multiply the number 33 uh, by 20.1818181818 ad infinitum, you get the number 666. And this headline was sent by a producer of the show, and I shared it on Twitter the other day. This is Patch.com, 666 new coronavirus cases and uh, in DuPage County. In past 24 hours, six people died of coronavirus in the past 24 hours. Uh, okay. I don't know how else they can be trolling uh, people like us who happen to be followers of Jesus and think that, hey, maybe there's some kind of, uh, you know, conspiracy going on trying to go after people that believe in Jesus. But this is ridiculous. 666. New coronavirus cases in DuPage County in past 24 hours. And, uh, yep, that's, that's what it says. Du DuPage County. Uh, maybe I'm saying it wrong. DuPage. Am I saying it? Somebody in the chat can correct me. Du DuPage, DuPage County has seen 666 new coronavirus cases and six deaths in the past 24 hours. According to the DuPage County Health Department, in total, there have been 44,045 coronavirus cases and 731 deaths, Illinois Department of Public Health reports. Uh, blah, blah, blah. So it you know, goes on and talks about how scary this thing is. But at a certain point, I don't know. It's just kind of like, all right, did, did they, I don't know, kill someone just to get to that number? Or I, <laughs> it's just ridiculous. I, I just don't think that this is natural. You get these numbers like 33 popping up all the time. And of course, 666 popping up as well. Uh, in the last week, this was published on November 27th, 2020. So recent thing here. Uh, it's just, it's just pretty crazy, pretty ridiculous. Um, but uh, in the last week, there were other strange things here. And uh, I did want to talk about it. You don't know what you're looking at. What's driving that thing? It's not a space alien. Aliens. It's unidentified. Well, this wasn't exactly a UFO. 
but everyone was talking about it. BBC.com, Utah monolith. Internet sleuths got there, but its origins are still a mystery. And of course, there was a, a monolith that somebody had put up in Utah. And uh, it says here, when officials in Utah on Monday revealed they had found a shimmering metal structure deep in the Red Rock Desert, they refused to say exactly where. They hoped that would be enough to deter amateur adventurers from setting off to find it, risking getting dangerously lost in the process. But there was little chance that people would abide by this advice. By Wednesday, pictures were emerging on Instagram of people triumphantly posing with the monolith, eager to show the world that they had got there first, even if the wider mystery of why it is there remains unsolved. They were aided by internet sleuths who quickly geolocated the structure on Google Earth and posted the coordinates online. Quote, I decided to go... Uh, I decided to go there first because I was drawn to the fact that this object had been there for five years, hidden in nature, said David Serber, a 33-year-old former U.S. Army infantry officer who drove six hours through the night after finding a Reddit post claiming uh, claiming to have found the exact location. And it goes on here. I mean, very strange. It is definitely strange and, uh, you know, reminds us of... uh, the uh you know space odyssey 2001 uh, it has since been uh, removed and uh i found this post here uh from the bureau of land management blm of utah and uh yeah blm utah right uh, utah doesn't isn't known for blm the Black Lives Matter BLM, but they're known for the Bureau of Land Management, which I think there's some kind of linguistic, you know, programming type of stuff going on there too. Because, you know, we we had an uh, an episode on Canary Cry Radio, I think it was about a year ago, maybe two years ago now. It's been a while, where we interviewed a couple. We interviewed a guy who was part of the whole uh, standoff with the BLM, and uh, it, it was a very interesting episode. If you hadn't. Uh, heard of it yet go look for it on canary cry radio and i don't have it pulled up right now somebody can look for it in uh, the the you know the episode number but here's what they posted on november 28th the bureau of land management blm utah here is our official statement on the rumors surrounding the monolith we have received credible reports that the illegally installed structure referred to as the monolith has been removed from bureau of land management public lands by an unknown party The BLM did not remove the structure, which is considered private property. We do not investigate crimes involving private property, which are held by the local sheriff's office. The structure has received international and national attention, and we received reports that a person or group removed it on the evening of November 27th. So uh, it's interesting that it was there for five years. Nobody cared, and all of a sudden they make it go viral on the internet, and then whoever was uh, in charge of it removed it. I would, you know, the whole thing is kind of fishy to me because if the, the, with the amount of internet uh, craziness that happened with this monolith thing, somebody should have, you know, it would be normal to have like a 24 seven, you know, uh, type of thing watching it. If not the BLM, then somebody, some random citizen to keep an eye on whether someone would come and take it. But there you go. It's gone. And the BLM said that they weren't the ones that took it, but somebody did. And yeah, I mean, I don't know what to say other than cool, sweet, uh, weird. Who knows? But I know there's a lot of theories out there. I'm not going to really dive into any because, again, it can just be an art piece that went viral. And then they realized, oh, 
uh, we're, we're, we're breaking the law by putting this here. So, you know, let's get rid of it, but there you go. Uh, but not to be outdone. Speaking of the BLM, the race wars, race wars, race war. I've warned you and warned you and warned you. This is the guardian.com. Black Lives Matter has increased racial tension 55%, say, in UK poll. <laughs> so, of course, uh, we were making so much progress until we had, uh, you know, the, the, the uh, first black president, and then we just it went really racial. And the race wars have been planned for a long time, but it says here in this article, a majority of people believe Black Lives Matter, the anti-racism movement, that spread across the U.S. this summer has increased racial tension, according to a poll. Just over half, 55% of U.K. adults believe the BLM protests that took place in big cities, but also in the Shetland Islands and the Isle of Wight, or yeah, wheat, wheat, wheat increased racial tensions, according to a survey of more than 2,000 people by pollsters opinion. Only 17% of the people polled in October disagreed. The polling also shows 44% of ethnic minorities felt BLM increased racial tensions. So there you go. It's not just random people. It's also the ethnic minorities that think this whole movement uh, increased racial tensions. So, yeah, of course, I mean, this is no surprise. This is part of the design to get everyone stirred up. And uh, that's that's, you know, it was going to happen. And uh, word of the day, look at in the chat, look at what Jake Paul did to Nate Robinson. I did watch that. I did watch the, oh, I didn't watch the fight, but I saw the highlights and uh, boy, Nate Robinson got, got hit pretty hard there. Um, but to, uh, to his credit, you know, he's not a boxer, he's a basketball player. And I think Jake Paul is a semi, I guess, professional boxer. So if you're going to, you can try to get in a ring with uh a professional of any sort, and you're not a professional in that in that thing, uh, you you might get knocked out. So, anyway, uh, there's your little update on that. Of course, this has been used to bring about a new world order and push for more tension and chaos. Uh, in the meantime, the four This is CanberraTimes.com.au. Elon Musk passes Bill Gates on rich list. And it says here, U.S. entrepreneur Elon Musk has overtaken Microsoft founder Bill Gates and is now the second richest person on the planet with a fortune totaling $127.9 billion, according to the Bloomberg Billionaires Index. So there you go. Elon Musk making moves. And, um, you know, Elon's kind of been stirring the pot, so to speak. You know, he's, uh, he doesn't toe the line exactly the way the, I guess, the, I don't know what you call it. The, the scientific dictatorship, liberal left, uh, you know, traditional world health organization agenda, 2030 type of thing. He seems to sort of poke holes in some of it, but I, I tend to think that's by design as well. I don't think that this is just uh, Elon being cool and he's just so awesome because he's, uh, you know, poking holes in the whole coronavirus PCR testing thing and, uh, you know, trying to go against the status quo with all that. I think this has to do more with a, a controlling both sides of the conversation type of situation and not so much that, you know, Elon is just so cool. Although, 
you know, maybe maybe Basil still thinks he's so cool and he's going to help him. Uh, if 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 Elon can help Basil get out of his uh, carbon freezing situation, um, I'm sure he wouldn't mind. But there you go, Elon's second wealthiest. And you know these wealthiest lists, uh, the billionaires list or whatever. It's kind of nonsense because we know that there are families that uh, that are far exceed the billions in wealth. And, and they, you know, their wealth is not in dollars or stocks or something like that. This is, uh, <laughs> you know, th- these people have assets that, uh, and power that, that are beyond just money. So, you know, those are the families that really are behind the shadows and, and don't really come out into the public. They're the ones that really control everything. But, you know, if, if we're going to talk about the billionaires index, uh, where's the trillionaire index? There's got to be, there, there are trillionaires out there. But, you know, we're not going to really talk about them because that would be uh, exposing some of the, uh, the higher ups in the hierarchy. So keeping that in mind. Speaking of the beast system, beast, 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 beast system. this is a, a short video that I will play. This was this was shared by a good friend, John Robertson. And, uh, the, he, he said, if you are sitting around wondering, would they really put a chip in a vaccine? Here's your answer. This is CBN. Okay. Christian broadcast network. Let me play this for you. If you haven't seen this and temporary program in the battle against COVID-19, it's a public private partnership between my company, Apigex Systems of America, and the Department of Health and Human Services and the Department of Defense. Okay, before we move on here, Department of Defense, uh, his company, and and another thing he mentioned there, public-private partnerships. Now, when I first got into looking at the New World Order and studying it and all this kind of stuff, there was a lady named Joan Vion. And she was talking about the public-private partnership like way back, 2006, 7, 8, you know, 12, 13, 14, 15 years ago. Here's a a short clip of Joan Vion. She has since passed away. She was a Christian as far as I can tell. She was a believer. Uh, But here's what she said about the public-private partnership. A quick clip. Cover other global meetings. I started to see this phrase about public and private. And sometimes with public and private, they would talk about non-governmental organizations and foundations. They never, ever mentioned specifically corporations. And then it wasn't until the meeting that I went to in Istanbul in 1996 that the document was all about something called public private partnerships. I was pretty amazed. What? What is a public-private partnership? And I didn't quite understand it in Istanbul, but I came home and I decided I would meet with somebody at the World Bank. And so I went down the street, since I live about an hour from the World Bank, outside of Washington, D.C. And I went to the World Bank and I started asking questions about what a public-private partnership was. It was pretty difficult, but I finally figured it out. Very simply, a public-private partnership is a way in which corporations, through a new entity, 
called public-private partnership take control of government assets. Very simply, they are taking control of government assets. Okay, and I'll leave links uh, in the show notes and everything so you can go dig more, you know, learn more about this public-private partnership. So that's what this is uh, from AppEject, uh, Jay Walker. Let me continue his little thing here. And its purpose is to ensure that by year-end, we'll have at least 100 million doses ready to inject of a vaccine or therapeutic, assuming one is available. How does the optional RFID chip work? Well, each of these devices that are injection have the capacity to also have a small chip. What that chip does is it has the unique serial number for each dose. It is designed so that there is no counterfeiting. It's designed so that we'll know exactly that the right dose hasn't expired. However, that chip only refers to the dose. There's no personal information, no patient information. It's simply like a barcode, only we know instantaneously where and when that dose has been used. That also helps public health officials know when there are outbreaks, have we vaccinated enough people in those areas? That technology is purely optional, however, and the U.S. government hasn't even decided if they're going to use it. So there you go. <laughs> Just straight up telling you, yep, we got the RFID chip in the vaccine, and but hey, you know, it's optional. It's still optional, guys. Don't fear. Government hasn't even decided whether we're going to use it or not. It's all optional, but it's going to help us keep track of everything. Okay, buddy. All right. <laughs> I, I mean, it's pretty alarming to me that the Christian Broadcast Network would just sort of show this and then move on like, oh, okay, sweet. And then next idea, next question, whatever. Uh, well, obviously, CBN's not the, uh, I'm not going to say that they're the, the, the you know, beacon of truth when it comes to even reporting, uh, you know, faith-driven types of news there, but there you go. I mean, it's pretty obvious to me. You got the PPP, you got the Department of Defense, you got uh, RFID, you got vaccines. You got, I mean, this is like the whole gamut of the beast system right there in a syringe. So I, I another reason why you shouldn't uh, be clamoring for this vaccine. And, you know, how do you, and my question is, how do you know uh, if, the, if an RFID is even in a, uh, a a vaccine you know how do you check how do you do, can you ask them you know uh, so i don't know i mean i'm not going to put myself in a situation where i'm uh, going to be jabbed by one of these things anyway but uh for anybody out there who may find themselves in that situation can you ask and then can you deny it you know and how do you know i mean I, there's just so many questions regarding this whole thing uh it, it just makes me uncomfortable i know a lot of people are are quick to say that this is it it's the mark of the beast and uh, I'm not ready to say that quite yet, although the the characteristics of what we read in Revelation 13, definitely there. I mean, I'm not going to deny that a lot of this stuff seems to be there, but uh, one of the things that I think is mainly an issue with that is the worship of the beast. And I know there are, you know, some people can take different interpretations of what it, you know, what people say in terms of how worship is uh, constituted in this world today. Um, but uh, I, I will say that, you know, my skepticism is definitely raised and I, I'm not saying that I'm, 
you know, it's it's a tough issue because again, we've talked about this before. We're not saying that all vaccines are the mark of the beast or that this vaccine is the mark of the beast. However, we will say that there are definitely, definitely some characteristics, some character traits about this vaccine that they're rolling out that uh, appear to have a mark of the beast ish system. So there you go on that. And, uh, you know, the, the lockdown type of situation continues here, at least where I'm in, in, uh, in, in California. And, um, I have another quick update for you regarding that. Uh, let's see, where was my, oh, here it is. Now is the time to do what you're told. (laughs) (laughs) Anthony Fauci. Listen to Fauci. Listen to daddy King Fauci, cbsnews.com. This is mayor Eric Garcetti of Los Angeles. Los Angeles today went, went on lockdown, like full lockdown. Uh, they first did the 10 PM to 5 AM curfew, which is like, okay. All right, put a curfew on a time when most people are sleeping. And then uh, all the sheriffs came out and said, yeah, we're not going to enforce that because it's ridiculous. Uh, But then here's uh, Mayor Garcetti talking about what he plans to do and is going to do with uh, people that are not listening to science and not listening to the authorities. Ever since March 15th, when Los Angeles was the first city to shut down businesses where people gather, We've made it our mission to limit the spread of this disease and to limit the risk of lives and to our economy. Mm-hmm. We've been clear from the beginning that getting together in groups outside of your household that is not permitted is not allowed. And we've asked Angelinos not to gather or to have parties. I know this has been a tough ask because we're Angelinos. We like to be with each other. We like to be around people. Okay. We want to see our friends and families And I know how tough these months have been for all of us. Everything that we are doing, though, everything that we individually and collectively are sacrificing depends on each one of us doing our part to reduce infections, hospitalizations, and deaths. And these sacrifices help us manage access to the economy and a paycheck, keep more businesses' doors open. Mm -hmm. But all the sacrifices can be undone by those who refuse to follow the science and who refuse to follow the rules and put our economy and our community at risk. Recently, we've seen the reports of some large parties and gatherings in flagrant violations of health orders. As our County Department of Public Health said yesterday, and I quote, the highest risk settings are large in-person gatherings where it is difficult for individuals to remain spaced at least six feet apart and where face coverings are not worn. The consequences of these large parties ripple far beyond just those parties. They ripple throughout our entire community because the virus can quickly and easily spread. While we have already closed all nightclubs and bars, these large house parties have essentially become nightclubs in the hills. Many times the homes are vacant or used for short-term rentals. And beyond the noise, the traffic, and nuisance, these large parties are unsafe and can cost Angelinos their lives. That is why tonight I am authorizing the city to shut off Los Angeles Department of Water and Power Service in the egregious cases in which houses, businesses, and other venues are hosting unpermitted large gatherings. So there you go. He's going to shut down water and electricity to anybody who is going against the order. 
and uh, not shutting down large meetings or not or, or having large meetings against the health officials and all this kind of stuff. That that's, that's ridiculous. That is absolutely ridiculous. This is a grave oversight. This is totalitarian. It's just it's out of control. You know, I, I don't know any other way to put it. I can understand why so many people are leaving California. Uh, definitely get out of Los Angeles. If you're in, if you live in Los Angeles and you can get out, do it. Uh, you can come to orange County. It's a little better, you know, orange County where I'm, I live. Most people are like, yeah, okay. You know, I talked, I have, uh, uh, lib Joe type friends. I have lib Joe type neighbors and we'll get into conversation. And a lot of them are like, yeah, I don't, I don't know about what they're, what they're doing over there in LA. I don't know why they're doing all this stuff. And it's because, you know, Los Angeles has been overtaken by, you can call them socialists. You can call it, you can mention China, the communist regime, whatever the Marxists, the liberals, you can call them whatever you want, but it has failed. Whatever the experiment was over there in terms of creating a a type of utopic thing, it has not worked because their policies were horrible. And uh, the the rich and poor, the middle class was absolutely destroyed. And um, the homeless situation is completely out of control. Middle class neighborhoods are just totally taken over by the homeless. And, you know, you can blame the wealthy and the politicians and all that. That's definitely a big reason why there's a big homeless problem in LA. Uh, But also I think culturally, I think culturally, the the type of people that are just happy to live under a bridge or a, a you know a highway or whatever tent city they they have also been culturally indoctrinated into well you know screw the system i'm going to opt out and i'm going to just live my life the way i want in a tent and just you know get by and i i think it's it's all ultimately when you get into the spiritual side of things and because obviously it's psychological, obviously there's a, you know, a political or judicial aspect to this, uh, but spiritually speaking, you know, it's creating an atmosphere that is ripe for chaos. And we know they want chaos so they can bring order out of it. They never want true fairness. They never want true equality and all these things that they always talk about. No, they want chaos. And so they got their chaos. They have people, the, the entrepreneurial types, they're leaving LA, they're leaving California, but they still continue to enforce this nonsense. It's very out of touch. And um, yeah, pray for California because I do think, despite what's happening in LA, I do think that there were a lot more people, and this isn't a, and I'm, I'm going to mention this in the context of politics, in the context of the right left paradigm, because we know that a lot of that is a farce. Uh, but in terms of you know your normie people your normie friends and family that may be out there they i think a lot more people started to side with uh, you know the republican messaging the right wing messaging because the obvious failures of the left wing liberal democratic all this stuff uh, so it's very interesting to see and I, I do think California, in terms of again the right-left paradigm, we'll we'll have to see if uh, some of the evidence comes out. You know, there, there are some people on the fringes of the election thing, and I, I know I said I'm not going to talk about the elections, 
this is peripheral stuff, but some people were saying that all oh, Trump got 400 and something electoral votes and California was red. And, you know, people are like, oh, I don't know about that. But living here, I wouldn't be 100% surprised if that was the case, only because the ridiculous overreach of places like San Francisco and Los Angeles, it was, it's just out of control. And a lot of people, I think, were just kind of like, yeah, just something different. You know, let's vote for something different. But, you know, again, it's one of those situations where you can vote in another side, but it's not going to really make that much of a difference because ultimately this is a spiritual war. It's not just a judicial or government type of war. This is a lot more than that. So, yep, again, pray for Californians. And uh, let's move on here. One more quick update. This is about vaccines. I guess I could have ordered this a little bit better so it flows from that last story with the the vaccines there. But in any case, this is the hill.com CDC advisory panel says people must be warned about vaccine side effects. And here's what the article says. Members of an advisory committee to the Center for Disease Control and Prevention said Monday patients need to be warned about the potential side effects of getting the COVID-19 vaccine so they're not discouraged from getting a second dose. Huh? (laughs) Got to make sure that they're happy so they can come back for a second dose. You know, just wow. Okay. Quote, as a practicing physician, I've got to be sure my patients will come back for a second dose. We really have got to make patients aware that this is not going to be a walk in the park. Sandra Adamson Freuhofer physician representing the American Medical Association, told the advisory committee on immunization practices in a meeting Monday, both the Pfizer and Moderna vaccines require two doses within three to four weeks of each other. Doctors worry patients might not return for a second dose if they experience unexpected side effects from the first one. Are they really unexpected? I mean, come on, let's get real. These are not, people are going to have side effects. This has been the whole thing with pushing through this vaccine quickly especially moderna who's using this new breakthrough technology with mrna it's never been administered at a large scale before and they already had issues in the prior stages of the development of the vaccine so of course they're going to have side effects uh but in any case i I love how they phrase this or, or frame it in a way of we have to make sure that you know, people aren't discouraged when they feel horrible when they get the vaccine. So they come back again and have more vaccine. I mean, it's just, it's out of control. Pharmacia. All about the pharmacia. It's all about control. And it's all about uh, bowing down to the scientific dictatorship. Science is truth. That's uh, the words of Dr. Anthony Fauci, which again, science is truth. Not only is it not a scientific statement, it's a statement that cannot be proven scientifically. So, you know, all this nonsense with science. Uh, And again, you know, there's no consensus amongst the scientists here. We have the, uh, you know, the Barrington Declaration, the Great Barrington Declaration, which has a whole bunch of physicians and epidemiologists and doctors and medical professionals all saying, hey, uh, let the young people do their thing. We can reach a type of herd immunity a lot quicker than these lockdowns. It just makes no sense that one type of scientific leadership is being 
uh, put on a pedestal and it just happens to be the one that enforces lockdowns and masks and all kinds of uh, measures that are you know uh, pushing the public to be complicit and uh, and you know comply to the orders because if you're not you're a bad citizen you're a, you're a horrible citizen if you don't listen to the masters and you know science again science itself is fairly neutral when you talk about actual science you know it's a neutral type of thing it's the philosophy of science it's the interpretation of that science it's how people uh, decide to extract regulation extract uh, some kind of judicial aspect to society from that science that is the problem here and you know i've talked about science a lot on the face like the sun channel and over the years it's been a topic that um we know the science itself has been weaponized and politi- politicized for a long time but weaponized for a long time you know and people have made good points like hey scientists were you know the bastion of the the beacons of truth during the whole Nazi Germany time, right? The, the eugenicists were like, yeah, of course, of course we should move forward with, uh, you know, ethnic cleansing because science, you know, so it's, it's not the science itself. It's the, the philosophy, the philosophical extraction of the science, scientism, when it becomes religious, then we see the totalitarian, uh, marks of a scientific dictatorship. Okay, so uh, moving on here. Those were the updates. This is this is a lot harder to do solo because I just have to keep ranting and talking and and uh, really wish I could sit and, and do other things, look at the chat and stuff. But no, no, no way to uh, not talk when you're by yourself doing live. It's it's kind of weird. Feels kind of weird, but luckily I'm used to doing you know my own thing as well, so not too much of a problem. But uh, I named this episode cyborg monday because you know everyone every the cyborg or cyber monday all the sales here but i wanted to tell you guys about uh what we can expect in the coming years are you ready to become cyborg this is the guardian.com again uh the article is titled part human part machine is apple turning us all into cyborgs and Here's what it says. At the beginning of the COVID-19 pandemic, uh, Apple engineers embarked on a rare collaboration with Google. The goal was to build a system that could track individual interactions across an entire population in an effort to get ahead, uh, get a head start on isolating potentially infectious car- uh, carriers of a disease that as the world was discovering could be spread by asymptomatic patients. Uh, I don't know about that one. Delivered at breakneck pace, the resulting exposure notification tool has yet to prove its worth. The NHS COVID-19 app uses it as do others around the world, but lockdowns make interactions rare, limiting the tool's usefulness. While in a country with uncontrolled spread, it isn't powerful enough to keep the R number low. In the Goldilocks zone, when conditions are just right, it could save lives. I like how they're like, hey, we have this tracking device that everybody has in their pocket, but it's just not good enough. It's not good enough to keep track of everybody. The NHS COVID-19 app has had its teething problems. It has come under fire for not working on older phones. Oh, no. 
and for its effect on battery life. But there's one criticism that has failed to materialize. What happens if you leave home without your phone? Because who does that? The basic assumption that we can track the movement of people by tracking their phones is an accepted fact. This year has been good for tech companies, and Apple is no exception. The wave of global lockdowns has, less, has left us more reliant than ever on our devices. Despite being one of the first large companies to be seriously affected by COVID, as factory shutdowns in China hit its supply chain, delaying the launch of the iPhone 12 by a month, Apple's revenue has continued to break records. It remains the largest publicly traded company in the world by a huge margin. This year, its value has grown by 50% to $2 trillion, and it is still $400 billion larger than Microsoft, the number two. It's hard to think of another product that has come close to the iPhone in sheer physical proximity of our daily lives. Our spectacles, contact lenses, and implanted medical devices are among the only things more personal than our phones. Uh, Excuse me. Without us even noticing, Apple has turned us into organisms living symbiotically with technology, part human, part machine. I don't know, uh, kind of. You know, this is the kind of language that you got to really dig in and define what you mean by some of this stuff because, yeah, we use computers and phones and stuff as tools, but they are not yet exactly injected into us. However, I will agree that they have become much more uh, part of the, uh, you know, the process of thinking and the, the psychology of people uh, much more than a you know, physical thing. But let's continue on here. We now outsource our contact books, calendars, and to-do lists to devices. We no longer need to remember basic facts about the world. We can call them up on demand. But if you think that carrying around a smartphone or wearing an Apple Watch that tracks your vitals in real time isn't enough to turn you into a cyborg, you may feel differently about what the company has planned next. A pair of smart glasses in development for a decade could be released as soon as 2022 and would have us quite literally seeing the world through Apple's lens, uh, putting a digital layer between us and the world. Already, activists are worrying about the privacy concerns sparked by a camera on everyone's face. But deeper questions about what our relationship should be to a technology that mediates our entire interaction with the world may not even be asked until it's too late to do anything about the answer. Uh, And then it goes into the idea of cyborgs and cybernetics. I'll read a little bit here. The word cyborg, short for cybernetic organism, was coined in 1960 by Manfred E. Kleins and Nathan S. Klein, whose research into spaceflight prompted them to explore how incorporating mechanical components could aid in, quote, the task of adapting man's body to an environment he might choose. You know, I, I thought cyborg, or maybe cybernet. okay, maybe the word cyborg, because cybernetics, I thought was coined way before that, with, uh, I'm going to look it up, because uh, I'm going to double check. Um... Norbert Weiner had the book that had the all seeing eye on there. And he was the one that talked about cybernetics and controlling the human machine and stuff like that. So take a look at cyborg. Um, I guess 
All right. So it says 1960. Um, let's look at cybernetics just to double check. Yep. Cybernetics was Norbert Wiener. Weiner. Uh, theory or study of communication and control coined 1948 by mathematician Norbert Weiner. So, okay. So, all right. I guess that's uh, the difference between cybernetics and cyborg, which I guess, <laughs> I guess it's, uh, I don't know, a distinction to make, but I, it's sort of the same thing here. And for anybody wondering, uh, and if you're viewing the live stream here, you can see here. The book is called God and Gollum Inc. by Norbert Weiner. And you can see there the all-seeing eye and, uh, you know, like a machine thing there, a gear type thing. And the book is uh, subtitled The Comment on Certain Points Where Cybernetic uh, Impinges on Religion. So, again, this has always been a spiritual discussion. You know, people always say, oh, technology, technocrats. It's, it's squashing religion. No, it's just its own type of religion. So, okay. All right. So cyborg was different than cybernetic. Uh, but then it gets into some of the cultural things here. Um, it quotes Bruce Sterling, a U.S. science fiction author and futurist whose Mirror Shades anthology defined the genre for many. Quote, if you're looking at cyborgs in 2020, Sterling says, it's an Apple Watch. It's already a medical monitor. It's got all these health apps. If you really want to mess with the inside of your body, the watch lets you monitor it much better than anything else. And it talks about the Apple Watch a little bit. And uh, I thought this was interesting. Now your watch can not only measure your heart rate, but scan the, the electric signals in your body for evidence of arrhythmia. It can measure your blood oxygenation level. Warn you if you're in a noisy environment that could damage your hearing and even call 999 if you fall over and don't get up. I didn't know this. If you follow, if you have an Apple watch on and you fall over, you can hit 999. Or maybe if you're upside down, you know, you hold your wrist upside down, you can hit 666. There you go. Somebody will come help you. Um, we'll get through here. Apple quote, Apple, I think more than any other brand truly cares about the user experience and they test and test and test and iterate and iterate and iterate. And this is what we've taken from them says Samantha Payne, the chief operating officer of Bristol's open bionics, the company, which she co-founded in 2014 with CEO, Joel Gibbard makes the hero arm, a multi-grip bionic hand. With the rapid development of 3D printing technology, Open Bionics has managed to slash the cost of such advanced prosthetics, which could have cost more than $100,000 10 years ago to just a few thousand dollars. And uh, yada, 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 more about the disabled, uh, which we've, again, we've mentioned so many times on this channel and, and on the podcast and everything else. The discussion, the ethics discussion between restoration versus enhancement. So, you know, people that have disabilities, people that are uh, amputees and stuff like that, they will buy into this technology for restoration to, you know, to par, so to speak, to be able to function in society with everybody else. But when you're talking about enhancement, now you're going beyond what the limits of a human being is. And that's where the rub is. That's where we start thinking about. You know, as it were in the days of Noah type of situation. 
So let me go on here. Making devices so compelling that we carry them with us everywhere we go is a mixed blessing for Apple. The iPhone earns, uh, earns it about $150 billion a year, more than every other source of revenue combined. In creating the iOS App Store, it has assumed a gatekeeper role with the power to reshape entire industries by carefully defining its terms and services. Ever wonder why every app is asking for a subscription these days? Because of an Apple decision in 2016. Bad luck if you prefer to pay up front for software, but it has also opened itself up to criticism that the company allows or even encourages compulsive patterns of behavior. That's what it's all about. It's all about controlling your behavior. That's been the big thing about all tech companies. Apple co-founder Steve Jobs famously likened personal computers to bicycles for the mind, enabling people to do more work for the same amount of effort. That was true of the Macintosh computer in 1984, but modern smartphones are many times more powerful. If we now turn to them every waking hour of the day, it, uh, is that possible because, or is that because of their usefulness or for more pernicious reasons? Quote, we don't want people using their phones all the time, Apple Chief Executive Tim Cook said in 2019. We're not motivated to do that from a business point of view, and we're certainly not from a values point of view. Later that year, Cook told CBS, quote, We made the phone to make your life better, and everybody has to, to decide for his or herself what that means. For me, my simple rule is if I'm looking at the device more than I'm looking into someone's eyes, I'm doing the wrong thing. Okay, <laughs> Apple has introduced features such as the screen time setting that help people strike the balance. Users can now track and limit their use of individual apps or entire categories as they see fit. Part of the problem is that while Apple makes the phones, it doesn't control what people do with it. Oh, isn't that convenient? Facebook needs users to open its app daily, and Apple can only do so much to counter that tendency. No, oh, Apple's just so, they're, you know, nothing nefarious about Apple. Just a logo that has a bitten fruit. Uh, if these debates about screen time, privacy, and what companies are doing with our data, our attention seem like a niche topic of interest now, they will become crucial once Apple's latest plans become a reality. The reason is the company's, uh, company's worst kept secret in years, a pair of smart glasses. It filed a patent in 2006 for a rudimentary version headset that would let users see a, quote, peripheral light element for uh, an, quote, enhanced viewing experience, able to display notifications in the corner of your vision. That was finally granted in 2013 at the time of Google's own attempt to convince people about smart glasses. But Google Glass failed commercially and Apple kept quiet about its intentions in the field. Recently, the company has intensified its focus on augmented reality technology that overlays a virtual world on the real one. It's perhaps best known through the video game Pokemon Go, which launched in 2016, superimposing Nintendo's cute characters on parks, offices, and playgrounds. However, Apple insists it has much greater potential than simply enhancing games. Navigation apps could overlay the direction on top of the real world. Shopping services could show you what you would like uh, wearing the clothes you're thinking of getting. Architects could walk around inside the spaces they have designed before shovels even break ground. With each new iPhone launch, Apple's demonstrated new breakthroughs in the technology, such as LiDAR support in new iPhones and iPads, a tech think radar with lasers, uh, 
that lets them accurately measure the physical space they are in. Then, at the end of 2019, it all slotted into place. A Bloomberg report suggested that the company hadn't given up on smart glasses in the wake of the Google Glass failure, uh, but had spent five years honing the concept. The pandemic put paid uh, the pandemic put paid to a target of getting hardware to the shelves in 2020, but the company is still hoping to make an announcement next year for a 2022 launch, Bloomberg suggested. Apple's plans cover two devices, codenamed N301 and N421. The former is designed to feature, quote, ultra-high-resolution screens that will make it almost impossible for a user to differentiate the virtual world from the real one, according to Bloomberg's Mark Gurman. This is a product with an appeal far beyond the hardcore gamers who have adopted existing VR headsets. You might put it on to enjoy lifelike immersive entertainment or to do creative work that can make the most of the technology, but would probably take it off to have lunch, for instance. N421 is where the real ambitions lie. Expected in 2023, it's described only as, quote, a lightweight pair of glasses using AR, but argues Mark Pesce Pes, in his book Augmented Reality that this would be the culmination of the mirror shades dreamed up by the cyberpunks in the 1980s, using the iPhone as the brains of the device and, quote, keeping the displays themselves light and comfortable, wearing it all day, every day, the idea of the world without a digital layer between you and reality would eventually fade into memory, just as living without immediate access to the internet has for so many right now. That is insanity to think, but likely going to happen. You know, we, and, and, you know, the, the conversation here in the eschatological context is important because you know, a lot of people, when the internet first came out, it wasn't big, obviously, because the internet hadn't developed, you know, the communities that were talking about biblical eschatology, but there were a lot of believers that were like the internet itself, it's the mark of the beast, it's happening. And again, there are character traits of the internet that would assist in a prophetic mark of the beast. Uh, but I don't think we're exactly there yet. And similarly, I think this type of technology will assist in the creation of a Mark of the Beast type of system, but I'm not sure that it's going to get there quite yet. However, we will, by the end of this decade, by the end of 2030, or by 2030 anyway, I think a lot more people are going to be walking around with smart glasses. And uh, obviously, Google Glass, I think they just got ahead of themselves. People didn't like it. People didn't like the privacy issue. It's almost like psychologically, the Society wasn't ready for it, but that's why I think Apple is going to pull it off. You know, Apple had, had always had that design appeal, the sleek look, the simplicity, all that kind of stuff. I think once Apple tries to do it, it's going to work. And I think a whole bunch of people are going to buy into this. And um, yeah, in Numinati uh, 2 in the chat, oh, please, Lord, come before 2030. Amen. <laughs> Amen to that. Uh, but we have to prepare, you know. Uh, we, we don't know the day or the hour, so we can't expect him uh, to, to come save us out of this. But I agree. I really hope he does come before or soon thereafter. We just have to continue to expose the enemy and continue to preach the gospel 
in the context of all these things because you know all this stuff, all this news. Yeah, it's troubling, but the reason why Basil and I go on here, you know, three times a week, and we joke around and we have fun with all this, is because we have the joy of the Lord. We're not going to sit here and and push the spirit of fear because that's not what this is about. There's hope here. There's truth that comes, uh, or there's freedom that comes with truth, and that truth is of Jesus Christ. So, you know, we're just trying to display that and say, hey, it's going to be okay. You know, you don't have to freak out every 10 seconds with every news piece that comes out. Uh, But I will say, I think a lot of people watching right now, listening, and uh, I will say myself as well, we're pretty jaded. We're pretty jaded because we've been looking at this stuff for so long. It's like, oh yeah, of course. Yeah. You know, uh, AR glasses. Everyone's going to be wearing it. Yep. Of course. No problem. So let me continue reading a little bit more here. If Apple pulls off that launch, then the cyberpunk and cyborg future will have arrived. I don't know about that. You know, putting on (laughs) AR glasses is not quite the same as having like a cybernetic body, you know, but yeah, this whoever wrote this is really pumped about it. It's not hard to imagine the concerns as cultural questions clash with technological. Hasn't that already happened? Should kids take off their glasses in the classroom, just as we now require them to keep phones in their lockers? Will we need to carve out lens-free time in our evenings to enjoy old-fashioned healthy activities such as watching TV or playing video games? (laughs) You know, I find that hysterical because healthy activities, watching TV and playing playing video video games, not exactly healthy activities. And and I like how they're old fashioned too. Old fashioned, you know, watching TV like a, like an old person. Uh, how about reading a book? How about having a conversation with family? You don't always have to have the 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 screen in front of your face. It's a fool's errand to imagine every use of AR before we have the hardware in our hands. Writes developer Arian Han or Adrian Han who was called on by Google to write games for their smart glasses a decade ago. Quote, Yet, there's one use of AR glasses that few are talking about, uh, talking about but will... I'm sorry, hold on. Yet, there's one use of AR glasses that few are talking about but will be world-changing. Scraping data from everything we see. That is key here. Data is everything. This world scraping... Whoa, what happened to chat? Oh, somebody just put in something. Okay. <laughs> All right. I don't know if that worked there. Uh, Vault Souk, Vault Such. I think there's a message in there somewhere. Okay. Sorry. I got distracted by the, the, the big chat thing. Um, yes. World scraping would be a big tech dream and a privacy activist's nightmare. A pair of smart glasses turns people into walking CCTV cameras. And the data that a canny company could gather from it is uh, mind-boggling. Every time someone browsed a supermarket, their, their smart glasses would be recording real-time price data, stock levels, and browsing habits. Every time they opened up a newspaper, their glasses would know which stories they read, which adverts they looked at, and which celebrity beach pictures they gaze, uh, their gaze lingered on. Quote, We won't be able to opt out from wearing AR glasses in 2035 any more than we can opt out of owning uh, smartphones today, Han writes. 
Billions have no choice but to use them for basic tasks like education, banking, communication, and accessing government services. In just a few years' time, AR glasses uh, do the same, but faster and better. Oi, okay, I mean, it uh, doesn't have to be, you know? And I uh, don't need your smart glasses to do education or banking. Uh, banking, maybe. Or, or, or at least, you know, iPhones and stuff, banking, uh, uh, yeah. And that, that's, that's where the Mark of the Beast conversation comes in. Banking, buying and selling. Apple would argue that if any company is to control such a powerful technology, it ought to. The company declined to speak on the record for this story, but it has invested time and money in making the case that it can be trusted not to abuse its power. The company points to its comparatively simple business model, make things, and sell them for a lot of money. Isn't Google or Facebook trying to monetize personal data or Amazon trying to replace the high street? It's just a company that happens to make a thousand dollar or a thousand, uh, what is that, francs? Uh, oh, I don't know the uh, pounds, thousand pound phones that it can sell to 150 million people a year. But whether we trust Apple might be besides the point. We don't yet know whether we can trust ourselves. It took eight years from the launch of the iPhone for screen time controls to follow. What will human interaction look like eight years after smart glasses becomes ubiquitous? Our cyborg present uh, sneaked up on us as our phones became glued to our hands. We are going to sleepwalk into our cyborg future. Or I'm sorry. Are we going to sleepwalk into our cyborg future the same way? So there you go. Apple planning to bust out their uh, Apple glasses and uh, and you know 2022 is when they're starting to launch it. So keep that in mind. And again, I don't think that entirely makes us cyborgs, although it uh, probably does move us closer in that direction. Um, messaging Basil here. Just to see if he's able to jump on from wherever he is in the time warp. But there you go. That's the uh, main story for today. And that's why we uh, named the episode uh, the episode Cyborg Monday as a kind of a play on Cyber Monday. And I uh, wanted to talk about this story because it's relevant. It's really relevant to everything we're going to see, everything that we're facing as a human society. And um, I think. Especially believers are not, I guess, in general, you know, people haven't, uh, believers haven't equipped themselves enough with a, a foundational biblical approach to this because there is, there's a, a totally biblical approach to having this discussion. And you do have to, uh, Okay, sorry. Reading a message from Basil here. Uh, <laughs> um, yeah, but there is a biblical approach to this stuff and a way to apply biblical principles to this conversation and everything else. So I, I, you know, I did want to mention this and talk about this story because it's something to keep in mind as we move forward here. And along the same lines, the article mentioned data and world scraping. I think that's a word that we're going to hear more often. World scraping. Let me see if I can find the uh, world. There it is. World scraping. 
would be a big tech dream. And who's going to win that battle? Who's going to, who's in the lead? Let's, let's talk about that. Who's in the lead when it comes to world scaping? Welcome to China. China. This is Nikkei.com, the Japanese outlet. Divided internet, China and U.S. switch places as data powerhouse. And uh, it's kind of one of those like uh, scroll and read type things. I'll go through some of it here. The internet, a technology that was supposed to bring the world together, has deep fissures running through it. With worsening international relations, national borders have started to delay the spread of information. With the term splinternet entering the common lexicon to describe the fragmentation of the internet, Nikkei set out to map global power structures based on data. I haven't heard anyone use the word splinternet, but uh, it's a good one. Yeah. Hey, have you been on the splinternet? <laughs> hey, let me go look it up on that splinternet. China, as the new data champion, Nikkei's data economy research team analyzed the quantity of cross-border data flows in major countries and regions to determine who has the most of world's uh, of the world's data. China emerged as the world's information champion, overwhelming even the U.S. It shows a chart here. Uh, countries with the most cross-border data. China's data is double that of the U.S. China had the most cross-border data in 2019. The Chinese mainland and Hong Kong, the telecommunications gateway to the mainland together, account for 23% of all of the world's data, about 450 50 or 485.66 million megabytes per second. That is about twice the size of the data in the U S. Um, and here's a chart here. It shows China, Hong Kong, number one at 111 million megabytes per second. The U S is second at 60 million megabytes per second. Then you have the UK, India, Singapore, Brazil, Vietnam, Russia, Germany, France, and Japan coming in at number 11. But boy, China. I mean, that's a significant lead, almost doubling the U.S., who is second in the data race. Uh, here, the U.S.'s time in the top spot is in the past. In 2001, the dawn of the Internet age, the U.S. was top, uh, was top country when it came to data. European countries and Japan also held some of the top spots. But the rankings now are dramatically different. India and Singapore surged ahead, while Japan sank to the bottom position. And bottom out of the 11 nations here. Disparities of data growth. All countries have seen dramatic increase in cross-border data since 2010. The change in ranking reflects differences in these growth rates. And clearly, around 2012... 2013, China just skyrocketed, absolutely skyrocketed, taking over, and uh, U.S. and U.K. left behind. Let's see, what else? China kept in hot pursuit of the U.S., surpassing it in 2014. The difference in momentum between China and U.S. was clear. China experienced a 7,500-time increase in its cross-border data between 2001 and 2019 compared to the U.S.'s. 219 time increase oh boy that's a that's a lot uh more data uh, let's see the three poles of data power the changes in global data distribution are not limited to the amount of data in each country 
countries are now exchanging more data with different partners. A detailed analysis reveals a tripolar information power structure consisting of China, Europe, and the U.S. Is that the three beasts? I don't know. The U.S. shrinking information sphere, da-da-da-da-da, more data, more data, more data. Friction and division, the three information spheres, those of China, Europe, and U.S., are locked in a fierce competition for data. Some emerging countries are tightening their regulations to close off their data. Friction and division over data, now a new resource, could disrupt the global flow of information. And yes, more tension between China and the U.S., and more information. So anyway, there you go. This is a, a, a little outline of the data economy and what's going on in the data wars and the worldscaping. Uh, let's see. It says here, the data economy is effective provided the abundance of data circulation is available. If the internet becomes fragmented and clogged with information, the world will lose its vitality. We will be able to overcome the conflicts between nations and regain the freedom of global connect. Uh, will we be able to? Oh uh, boy. Will we be able to overcome the conflicts between nations and regain the freedom of global connectivity? Humanity is at a crossroads. There you go. Crossroads. Uh, China, US, the war, even though uh, it's all under one big roof of the new world order. But uh, there you have it. The world is moving in the direction of too much information. I think it was Neil Postman who said something about being drowned in information. Uh, let me see if I can. As I use the internet, the splinternet to find the quote, it was amusing ourselves to death. And it was his whole. Uh, Thing about between um, Orwell versus Huxley, who who wins the battle between what kind of totalitarian system that we're going to have, and realistically, it's both, right? It's not one or the other. I think both had you know had their sort of uh, certain sectors are 1984 ish, other sectors are more Huxley ish, but uh, it, the the quote was Orwell feared. Those who would deprive us of information. Have we seen a world where certain platforms deprive information? Absolutely. Huxley feared those who would give us so much information that we would be reduced to passivity and egotism. 100% that has also happened. There's so much stuff on the internet that people have become passive. They've become feeders of their own ego. Yeah, so this is uh, absolutely true. I think both have happened. Okay, I'm going to go on a little break here, and that doesn't mean I'm going anywhere. I'm just going to do the normal break stuff, and uh, we'll come back. We got a couple more stories to go through for this episode. I have one about space worms confirming the wormicorn. They took our advice, and it happened. Wormicorns, and also a CRISPR update. Uh, but before then, we have some people to thank. It's break time! Come on, take a break. Okay, so we're in a break. Let me take a sip of my drink. And, yeah, so the break. Yeah, here we go. Uh, we operate 
as uh, not with advertisers, but with a value for value system, a model that we took from the No Agenda show. Adam Curry, the inventor, co-inventor of the podcast, and John C. Dvorak, uh, they're approaching 1,300 episodes, and they have never taken advertisers on their show, which is quite remarkable. And we thought, hey, we like that. We like it because advertising really is mind control. Advertising is part of the problem with information censoring in this world right now, what we just talked about. With uh, Neil Postman's quote there, uh, you know, fear uh, Orwell fearing that this, the platforms, the, the totalitarian system would deprive people of information. Well, that happens through advertisers. If you are uh, an advertiser and you uh, want to reach a whole bunch of people, you can exploit the uh, people that have large audiences, uh, you know, people that have much larger audiences than, than us, but we certainly have people that tune in and we just didn't feel right about exploiting your attention and getting paid for it. It just wasn't our thing. So we decided to go with the value for value model. And what that basically is, is a system where we provide all the content for free. And for the most part, we've provided everything for free from documentaries to podcast episodes to whatever, all the stuff that we've published, we've made available for free. And if you find value in that, you can, Give us value back by providing your treasure, your talent, or your time, as the uh, the, the three T's, as it is called. And uh, we would like to thank some people that have provided in those ways. And let me double check here to make sure we didn't have any people come in while the episode started. And it's a very a pretty short list here, so uh, don't worry; it's it's not going to be a long break here. But uh, you can go to Canary Cry Radio. I'm sorry. What am I saying? Patreon. Patreon.com slash CCNT for Canary Cry Radio. And you can become a patron there. And today we don't have, any, don't have anybody new uh, on the Canary Cry News Talk Patreon, which is sad. But we thank all of you who are producers of the show. Uh, producers because... If you contribute with your treasure, talent, time, then you are helping with the show. You are producing the show, so it's it's very uh, it's it, you know we're we're very grateful for that, and we think that we should call you producers because again, you're producing the show. Whether it's with your money, it's whether it's with your even with your prayers, you know, you're part of the production of this podcast. So that's why we call you producers. Uh, we also have Canary Cry Radio Patreon. That's patreon.com uh, slash Canary Cry Radio. And we have one person to thank. And I, I don't know how I feel about this one person who has become a producer of the show. Thank you, producer Black Pope. I'm not kidding. This 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 person's name is Black Pope <laughs> on the on the Patreon. I don't know what, what else to say. Uh, thank you, producer Black Pope, for joining the Canary Cry Radio uh, producership. And uh, I don't think I have any messages from him. Let me double check or her, I guess. Yeah, it doesn't look like I, I have one here. But we thank you, producer Black Pope, for <laughs> for uh, contributing. 
uh, and becoming a producer of the show. Now, I know Patreon people don't like Patreon because, of course, we ran into some issues with them as well. They're trying to censor us. They're trying to censor anybody who's trying to tell the truth. Uh, but it's okay. We have other ways to uh, support us to help produce the show. Go to canarycryradio.com slash support. Canarycryradio.com slash support. And once you get there, you'll see all kinds of different ways to support the show, including cryptocurrencies, which is, uh, it's been pumping. I think it touched all-time highs today, if I'm not mistaken. I think Bitcoin touched that 20,000 mark that we haven't seen since 2017. Uh, let me do some real-time price checking of Bitcoin. Uh, at the moment, $19,637. Oh, boy. That's a, that's a pretty big pump there. We'll see if it keeps going. But uh, yeah, you can go to canarycryradio.com slash crypto if you want to learn a little bit about cryptocurrencies and you can help produce the show with that. Uh, but for producers, we have one new recurring producer, and that's producer Melody. Thank you, producer Melody. And that's it. Kind of a sad short break here <laughs> with uh, the producers. But we thank you, producer Black Pope and producer Melody for contributing with your treasures. Okay, uh, other ways you can help produce the show, obviously. Um, oh, and just to mention uh, David Phipps in the chat there, Celsius token at $2.50. Uh, when I mentioned it, it was $0.09. Cents. That's right. If you listen to, <laughs> if you listen to uh, my advice, um, what was it, a few months ago? It hadn't been that long ago. I mentioned uh, Celsius Network. It was created by the guy who created voice over IP. So the guy who has the technology patent for Skype and Zoom and all that, he decided to create a system to have MOIP money over banking, or I'm sorry, money over IP. And uh, yeah, Celsius is exploding. It was nine cents per token when I mentioned it a few months ago. It's all the way to $2.50. So that's about a 27 time, 27x gain in just a few months. So, uh, yeah, yeah, good job to anybody who invested in Celsius token. But anyway, uh, let me move on here. You can support the show with your talent and your time. And how you can do that, you can give us a jingle. You can make jingles for us. You can take topics or uh, even clips of us and make a jingle that can be part of a playlist. Or it can be something that's a clip to introduce a, sec uh, a segment of the show. Uh, whatever it is, either you can be creative with it. There are no rules other than if you're going to do a jingle, uh, like a topical jingle, keep it short. And if you're going to do a whole song for the playlist, uh, we ask that you keep it on topic. That is to say, topical, that uh, things that we discuss on Canary Cry News Talk, yeah, because we, we do get a lot of people submitting things that are, you know, that they did in the, in the past, prior bands, prior projects. And, uh, you know, we will play it if it's relevant. Uh, but we're really specifically looking for producers of the show, which means that they have to be on point in terms of content and it has to relate to the content of the show. Otherwise you're just, you know, it's a little lazy if you're just throwing in old stuff, we want you to produce 
You know, we're not, we're not just asking you for your old things. We're asking you to produce for the show. So, uh, music, we have, uh, we do have a jingle actually. I'm sorry. We, uh, you got one from Lloyd and let me find a Lloyd. He did the, you are wrong Karen jingle. And now we have one, uh, the bidet, <laughs> the bidet jingle. Let me, uh, look for it here real quick. And I'm apologize. I didn't have everything ready to go as I tried to prepare this episode all by myself. Okay. This is the bidet bidets, man. Jingle. Don't even get me started on bidets, man. Bidets, man. Bidets, man. I'm telling you, you were living the life, man. Bidets, man. There you go. That's uh, Basil talking about bidets and how it's going to help us from the toilet paper apocalypse. And uh, yeah, uh, great jingle. I think anytime Basil mentions the bidet, we're going to have to play a, a snippet of that that jingle. So thank you, Lloyd. Appreciate the jingle. And the other way you can help produce a show with your content is with your artwork. One art, please. <laughs> and we have our collection of artwork to share with you on this episode. First up is Jay Vela. Jay Vela gave us release the Kraken. <laughs> and uh, in Jay Vela style, there's a, what looks like a government building, uh, kind of a, uh, an arch with uh, Roman columns with the beast, the seven headed beast with 10 horns on the right of it with the, the whore of Babylon sitting on top, riding the beast. And then on the left side, a giant Kraken with <laughs> multiple tails There's a green, uh, figure. And, uh, Oh, there's also more figures with horns, the little horn. And hold on. Let me, let me shrink the size here to get a, a better, uh, look or move it over to see see what's going on here uh, oh okay so this is a biblical reference to the man of sin figure the one with the mortal head wound one is and one has not yet come and it has one two three four five kings and then one is at the time the the passage was written one has not yet come the the man of sin antichrist figure very good I, I i like this it's also got the masked hooded men uh ripping apart the what looks like the constitution there the we the people got an angel with a trumpet and some people being compliant there very good art per usual jay vela summarizing all the stuff we talk about in uh, his style of art there thank you so much jay vela appreciate it always and next up we oh this is a you know i don't want to get into the habit of doing this but uh i will make the exception here we got a an email from big axe 007 and he was uh he was hanging around phoenix arizona and he sent us this picture here which has a white pyramid that's kind of enclosed off and apparently this is the burial site of the first governor of Phoenix. So there you go. The first governor of Phoenix is buried in a pyramid, a little white pyramid in, in Phoenix, Arizona. So, yep. Yeah, you know, this type of thing, not surprising. 
but uh, it's all over the place, folks. Once you realize that this <laughs> this entire country was being led by these types of fellows, uh, you'll see the markers all over the place. So thank you, Big Axe 7 for the photo. Um, next up, uh, we will do our one of our prolific artists, Ali. That's Gazelin Bonds in the chat. This is Legend of the Fall. It's a portrait of uh, Wes and Justin Fall, who were guests on the last Canary Cry News Talk slash Canary Cry Radio episode. And um, very well done. Very well done. I like uh, the look. The, the, I mean, Justin looks just like Justin. Wes looks just like Wes. And uh, very good job, Allie. Appreciate it. Um, if you don't mind, I think I might send it to Justin and Wes just so they can get a copy of it as well, unless uh, Allie already did it. But there you go. Thank you, Allie. Fantastic job. Um, let's move on here to Grace. Grace coming in with the quotes. Producer Grace. Uh, she has vowed to take lines out of the show and make them into artwork, and she has been doing this fairly consistently. So thank you, Producer Grace. Uh, today she has the totally clown world quote from Canary Cry News Talk. I think it was the last episode. Yep, we we live in a total clown world. Absolutely true. We can bust that quote out every time we think that it's true, which which is often. And uh, also the second piece of art. Uh, this was a Basil quote. Maybe it's funded by Bissell. And uh, you know, I I wish Basil was here for this one because um. You know, it's still over my head, you know, <laughs> I still don't know exactly what the, the whole situation is, but, uh, you know, I, I think it's got something to do with vacuums and, and, uh, you know, robot vacuums and the takeover and all this kind of stuff. Uh, I think it was related to the story about the hack. There was a hack of the robot vacuum, uh, where they can get, uh, I think you could speak to it or. Or it's able to get all the data. It's able to world scrape directly from the robot vacuum. So I think that's what it was in relation to. But there you go. And, uh, you know, I did have. Oh, give me a moment. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pull this up because. Uh, um, oh, boy. This is where I can use a, a partner in crime. When it comes to uh, some of the stuff, um, there was a somebody shared with us <clears throat> some artwork that they had done with uh, her daughter. It's called, I'm sorry, it was from producer Tama. And let me, uh, let me, uh, okay, it was a little bit difficult because it's a video. And I will go ahead and play a little bit of the video here. It, it's a it's a video of the artwork. And um, hold on one moment. I'm going to go ahead and uh, just try to show it here. Um, it's very it's a very good artwork. It's kind of like a scrapbook type of thing with a whole bunch of different things going on. Uh, it was a collaboration with mom and daughter. And um, she created a, a kind of a music video uh, showing all the pieces of art. It's very elaborate. It's beautiful. It's very well done. And um, she said, best viewed once, then again, stopping along the way, reading the blurbs. Uh, 
And uh, yeah, that, again, it's got like little quotes in there and uh, different things. It's very pretty. I, I don't know how to really describe it with words. Uh, so you'll have to take a look at it. But uh, yeah, something, something to take, keep in mind. We'll leave a link in the show notes at canarycrynewstalk.com. And you can take a look for yourselves and, uh, and check it out. It's very pretty. It's outstanding work. Uh, I just don't know how to really put it in words and, and do justice in terms of the audio side of things. So, uh, so there you go. Uh, they said they're part of the family of Canary Cry listeners. So thank you so much, producer Tama and uh, your daughter. So we really appreciate it. Fantastic artwork. And uh, we hope that some people can come check it out. So there you go. That's uh, producer Tama's work right there. And let's see what else. Who else? Who am I missing? I think that is it for the artwork. And uh, I just want to thank producer Javel or Javel, Javel, which is Allie for doing the timestamps. Although I guess she ran into some technical issues on the last episode. Uh, but somebody named Jade Bouncerson came in with the timestamps. And I have a sneaking suspicion that that is also Allie, but I could be wrong. If I'm wrong, I'm sorry. Thank you, Jade Bouncerson, for uh, providing the timestamps on the Canary Cry, uh, or I'm sorry, the Face Like the Sun uh, YouTube channel. And, you know, there's, um, I need to figure out, uh, I, I got to listen to Adam Curry's new thing. He's putting together Podcast 2.0. Because obviously podcast 1.0 has been taken over by the corporate structures. And so he wants to preserve the open, free access of uh, podcasting. And so he's putting together podcast 2.0. And uh, we, uh, we're, 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 I want to figure out a way. There's, a way. there's something about podcast 2.0 where the community, through certain apps, the community can just you know, provide timestamps. And so uh, I want to go ahead and, and uh, look into that. And I, I won't promote it here yet, but it uh, looks like in the chat, Jade is Javel's or Javel, Javel's mother. Oh, okay. Oh, so there you go. It, from the same branch. Thank you, producer Jade. And uh, oh, oh, family coming in. Okay. So, uh, so there you go. Uh, we'll, I'll keep an eye on uh, you know, some of that technology and we can move into that. Uh, and we're doing some other things. It's a little early to really announce anything for sure, but uh, we're, we're trying to put together stuff so we can live stream, not from you know YouTube. We'll still live stream from YouTube, Facebook, Twitch, and all that. It's, it'll just be a little bit different because we're going to try to host it ourselves instead of, uh, or at least on our own website, not entirely ourselves, but at least on our own website. So we're not relying so much on these large platforms. Uh, so we'll be working on that and uh, yeah, we'll keep you posted on that. And also a couple more things. Canary cry merch perch. You can go there. Canary cry merch perch.com. I think we have a jingle. Canary cry merch perch. You can get all kinds of swag there. I actually uh, quietly ordered something from the merch perch and I will be putting it on display once it shows up uh, on one of these live stream episodes. We'll, 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 I'm look, looking forward to my order, but we'll see. 
Uh, I think that is it. We didn't have any birthdays. So anyway, thank you, everybody. All the producers, producer Black Pope, producer Melody, producer Lloyd, producer Jay Vela, producer Tama, producer Ali, producer Grace, and producer Jade Bouncerson for contributing to episode number 270. All right, a couple more stories, and then I'm going to get out of here. Yes, it's wake-up time. Hey, y'all, wake up. Basil's still frozen? Yep. He's still, he's still cryogenically frozen. Okay, this next one is a few different jingles here. This is fizz.org. Space Worms Experiment Reveals Gravity Effects Genes. Oh, the Wormicorn are real. Living at low gravity affects cells at the genetic level, according to a study of worms in space. Genetic analysis of Kyndorhabditus. Oh boy, I just butchered that. Whoever's a wormologist. Please email me on how to pronounce that. I don't know if they're called a wormologist. I just made that up. But uh, let me try it again. Kyanor habditus. Kyanor habditus. Okay. Uh, Elegans worms on the International Space Station showed subtle changes in about a thousand genes. Stronger effects were found in some genes, especially among neurons, nervous system cells. The study by the University of Exeter at, and the NASA Gene Lab aids. I like how NASA, the, the never straight answers alleged space company organization, has a gene lab, aids our understanding of why living organisms, including humans, suffer physical decline in space. I know why. Because we're not supposed to be there. That's, that's been my whole thesis, right? The, the whole time. It's like, oh, why, are, why, why do we die in space? We're not supposed to go there. We're not supposed to be outside the firmament and our corruptible bodies. Moving on here. Quote, we looked at levels of every gene in the worms' genome and identified a clear pattern of genetic change, said Dr. Timothy Etheridge of the University of Exeter. Quote, these changes might help explain why the body reacts badly in spaceflight. It also gives us some therapy targets in terms of reducing these health effects, which are currently a major barrier to space, uh, deep space exploration. The uh, study exposed worms to low gravity on the International Space Station and to high gravity in, the, in centrifuges. The high gravity tests gave the researchers more data on gravity's genetic impacts and allowed them to look for possible treatments using high gravity in space. Quote, a crucial step towards overcoming any physiological condition is first understanding its underlying molecular mechanisms, said lead author Craig Willis of the University of Exeter. Quote, we have identified genes with roles in neuron function and cellular metabolism that are affected by gravitational changes. These worms display molecular signatures and physiological features that closely mirror those observed in humans. So our findings should provide foundations for a better understanding of spaceflight-induced health decline in mammals and eventually humans. And Dr. Etheridge added, the study highlights the ongoing role of scientists from Europe and the UK in spaceflight life sciences research. Uh, so there you go. I, I really think part of the genetic alteration thesis or presentation 
will be, oh, we got to get to space, but we can't live in space. So what do we do? We have to change our genes. So let's, uh, let's mess with our DNA so we're more, you know, outside the firmament compliant. And that's where we can talk about, you know, losing your humanity. And uh, one last uh, story here. This is NewScientist.com. CRISPR gene editing of brain cells might prevent Alzheimer's disease. And uh, we, we knew for a, a while that, you know, this type of uh, CRISPR technology is going to start editing brain cells. Uh, but here you go. It might one day be possible to gene edit brain cells to prevent Alzheimer's disease. Researchers have discovered that altering a gene or a key gene in human nerve cells reduces the formation of a protein associated with the disease. Though so far, this has only been done in a dish. Oh, good. <laughs> it's only been done in a dish. So next up, in a brain. Alzheimer's is the main cause of dementia, and the risk rises sharply as we grow old. Around one in four people aged over 90 have it. And uh, that's, that's it for the article. It's a pretty short article here. But, you know, this type of thing, it's, uh, again, it, it's that conversation of, uh, uh, enhancement versus what was the other word? I've been talking for so long. I'm starting to lose my, <laughs> lose my focus. Um, uh, restoration, restoration versus enhancement. You know, are you doing things to restore? For example, this type of gene editing would certainly help restore those who are suffering from something like Alzheimer's. Uh, but could it also be used to enhance and move past the, Goldilocks zone of, of brain function. And certainly that's the uh, ethical question that a lot of these scientists are allegedly facing. Although again, I, in my opinion, I think they have gone well beyond the boundaries of ethics when it comes to human cloning or other types of animal cloning, when it comes to gene editing, when it comes to hybridization of man and machine and man and animal this type of uh, thing, experimentation, is ancient in its origin, and I think it's happening again, just as Jesus stated. But as the days of Noah were, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. And it's one of the major character traits, I think, of the days of Noah that Jesus talked about. And uh, we've had people say, or, or skeptics of that interpretation suggest that, no, he's just talking about days of Noah, you know, people just unexpectedly were wiped out by the flood. Sure, that is also part of, of the discussion, but I don't see how, if you look at the trajectory of the days of Noah and his 950 years of life, uh, I don't see how some of these other things don't factor in because uh, obviously the Tower of Babel was after the flood, but before the flood, Definitely. Gen Genesis 6, there was some kind of weird genetic thing that happened with the sons of God mating with the daughters of men and the race of Nephilim that were running around back then. And uh, that's a big part of the conversation as to why this type of hybridization is becoming reality again in our generation. And the only other time in all of recorded human history that we even see any glimpses of it is through mythological accounts 
of giants, of other creatures, titans, uh, and, and other hybrid species from you know the Greek mythos. So it, it's left in the the memory of humanity. Uh, maybe not explicitly as acknowledged by scholarship, but certainly in the form of mythology. And in that way, I think definitely we're living again, as it were in the days of Noah, at least in those character traits. And another one is, is lifespan. A lot of those early uh, biblical, uh, uh, you know, the patristic early fathers of the, of the Bible, they lived a long time, Noah, 950 years. And uh, you know, is it, that's a good, really good question. You know, is it unbiblical if some of us, you know, lived for two hundred years because we had some kind of, uh, for example, in the last, I think it was an episode or two ago, they uh, they figured out some Israeli technologists had figured out that uh, some kind of chamber. It was it a man. I'm butchering it now. It was some kind of like isolation chamber and some oxygen. Uh, basically reversed the decay of the telomeres, uh, which is responsible for aging. So if we do that, I mean, it's fairly natural. It's a natural type of, uh, you know, assistance or, uh, what is it? Uh, when I'm losing words now <laughs> and I'm lacking sleep too, you know, baby still keeps me up pretty late and I got to get up pretty early. So my brain is starting to fry out, but what am I trying to say here? Uh, uh, what what is the word? I'm really struggling here. Somebody help me out in the chat. What am I trying to say? Uh, an application or uh, <clears throat> um, boy, I'm really having a brain thing. I'm gonna have a sip of my my, my mungicha here and try to think of the word. Nope, still didn't come to me. Basically, uh, the practice of a natural type of uh, healing, so to speak, to reverse the, uh, the, the the decay of the telomeres. Is that unbiblical? Is that anti-God if you do that? That's a good question, especially if you know, people start living a little bit longer. You know, I know some people will be against it no matter what and say, hey, I'm just going to take what comes and and you know, I'll, 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 uh, I'll, just <laughs> I'll just live as long as the Lord allows, but you know, it's a good ethical question for our generation. If it's a natural application of medicine, is it okay if it helps us live longer? Because certainly we're already at a point where we apply medicine to extend people's lives. People are living longer because of the medicine we have. So, and, and you know, I don't think people are losing their salvation because they went to, you know, a hospital to try to get some help. Homeopathic, yeah, sure, yeah, that might be the word that I'm looking for. Sure, yeah, not not quite, I don't think, but that is that is one. Yeah, ho- yeah, okay, homeopathic medicine, that makes sense. All right, thank you, buddy. This is why you're all producers because when when I start falling apart, we get the the producers to come in and help. So uh, so Basil, he didn't make it today. He's uh, carbon frozen. Maybe the Mandalorian can come decarbonize him. And, uh, you know, I, <laughs> I'll end with this. I've been watching the Mandalorian and I had a moment. I was holding my, my, my son, who's a month old, and I was holding him. And I was kind of watching the Mandalorian. 
And he was like cooing my son, you know, he was like making cooing noises. And, uh, <laughs> and I look up and the Mandalorian is holding Gorgu. Is that his name now? Yeah. Gor- Grogu. Yeah. Baby, baby Yoda has a name. His name is Grogu. And, uh, the Mandalorian was holding the Grogu or, or not the Grogu, but Grogu. And he was cooing. And I had this moment of like, Oh, I should get a Mandalorian helmet. And I should tell people about the way, right? But not, not really about the, you know, it'll be more about Jesus, you know, but I'll get like a Mandalorian helmet and just hold my baby boy and walk around. And if anybody asks if, you know, why I don't take off my helmet, I'll just say, it's the way. So, <laughs> so okay. All right. That's it for this episode. <laughs> Thank you guys for tuning in. I appreciate it. I know this was, uh, uh, diff- different because I had to do this all on my own here. And uh, yeah, I appreciate, I know you guys appreciate Basil even more when I have to do this all by myself and I stumble and I do the ums and the, you knows and all the stumbling, stumbling that happened, but we made it episode 270 in the books. Thank you so much. We appreciate all your support. Uh, please go to canarycryradio.com slash support. And uh, if you want to support the show, canarycryradio.com slash support. Flippy official. Thanks, Gon. She did well. Go eat some eggs. Um, maybe I'll, maybe my baby boy, uh, Grogu, my, my son Yoda will uh, eat some lizard eggs when he's not supposed to. You know, he's just going to sneak him in there. Anyway, these are all Mandalorian references. Um, you can help with the show again with your time, talent, or treasure. Uh, another way is to share the show with friends and family, you know, people that are starting to wake up to the realities of the world and let them know they're not alone. You can get the news with uh, maintaining the joy for the Lord and still get into the deep depths of all the horrible things going on and not be afraid because. We're grounded here. We're grounded in the truth. And uh, all you got to do is tell a friend. And uh, what we call that here, we call it rattling their cage. The end of the world occurred pretty much as we had predicted. I want to shake things up, stir up some controversy, rattle a few cages. Hey, stop that. Don't ever silence me. I'm the last angry man, a crusader for the little guy. Leave the bird alone. Never. Rattle a few cages. The human race will have every opportunity to improve. And if they don't? Ask Noah. Ask Noah, says Ultron. All right. Hopefully, Basil will be back on Wednesday. I think he will be. I'm pretty sure he will be. He will uh, be unfrozen from the cryogenic freezing and uh we will look forward to that i I might not even talk on that episode i'll just let him carry and i'll just nod like yeah sure for sure bro okay that's it for this that that that's it for this episode thank you guys for tuning in but until next time think outside the cage
what you're told. <laughs> <laughs> I wanna shake things up, shake things up. I wanna shake things up, shake things up. <laughs> Leave the bird alone. I wanna stir up some controversy. I wanna rattle a few cages. I wanna rattle a few cages. I'm the last angry man. You'll never silence I'm me. I'm the last angry man. Oh, 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 I I'm it. the last angry man. You'll never silence I'm me. I'm the last angry man. A crusader for the little guy. Little guy, little guy. Well, we'll see about that. Whatever, Illuminati. Fun fact, I believe it was uh, another fun fact. Fun fact. <laughs> another fun fact. Brings me back to my screamo days. <laughs> That's where I started. Light up a huge blunt, a joint. Give everybody magic mushrooms. Smoke. The CIA, you know, I mean, lots of intelligence agencies have tested secretly dosing communities. Psychoactive pills should be covertly administered. Put me on some, some, I don't know. Okay. You shot in the butt. Fluoride, oxytocin, did a chemical hug. Uh, I did dabble, you know, some of that uh, robot crack. I know what it's like. It's a lethal, lethal recipe for disaster. You need help. If you're a pharmacist, you need to repent. <laughs> All right, weird.